Amazon is a global company. This episode's guest runs a translation company specializing in helping Amazon sellers expand internationally and has great advice on making sure language doesn't get in the way of sales. Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Serious Sellers Podcast by Helium 10. I am your host, Bradley Sutton, and this is the show that's a completely BS-free, unscripted, unrehearsed, organic conversation about serious strategies for serious sellers of any level in the e-commerce world. And today, we've got somebody super serious. Well, actually, maybe she's not too serious, but she's a serious seller from Serbia. Any other words with an S I can, I can say here? Anyways, Yana, Yana, how's it going? Hi, Bradley. It's um, thank you so much for having me in your podcast. Um, you know, it's busy. It's Q4. It should be busy. So, you know, we're quite happy with the situation right now. Yes. Now, it's funny. Somebody, one of my coworkers, literally, as I was coming onto this call, just came into my office and was like, hey, I think you're recording with somebody. I was just talking to her fiance on a call about some PPC strategy. So you've just got a a family there of, of Amazon experts, huh? Yeah, exactly. Well, you know, it's only like in Serbia, it's basically, uh, me and Lazar, my fiance, he does PPC. Um, I have a big, uh, translation agency dedicated for Amazon translations. So yeah, I guess we're like a small, happy helium 10 family, I guess. <laughs> how, how did you guys, did you guys get into Amazon before meeting or you met through the Amazon world or how did that no, happen? Actually, uh, we were living our separate lives and I was working for this, uh, very, very big, uh, e-commerce in Denmark. And, uh, I was CEO at the end of the, like, you know, it was a startup. And then eight years later, it evolved to like 400 employees. And basically, uh, they were also selling on Amazon. They were selling about like hundred thousands of products on Amazon. And I was really intrigued by that. And that was like, I don't know, 10 years ago. So they were like really kind of, you know, veteran sellers on Amazon. And I got really interested in that. So I got to lead the, the whole team. And, you know, like this was the first time I heard like, what's a buy box, you know, and stuff like that. And, uh, I was really intrigued by like, you know, the, the listings, the translations and cause we were doing like machine translations the whole time. And then suddenly like things got better when we decided to use human translations and then like things improved even more when we use the keywords and stuff. And that's actually what I wanted. Did I actually decide to do something on my own? I was like, I want to start something else other than I don't want to work for anybody else. So I just decided to quit my job. Are about. we getting to the point of how you met your fiance though? Yeah. yeah. And he used to work at that very company like two months before. So I he did. was one of your like employee, you were the CEO and he was one of no, the employees. At that point I was working for a different department. I was like, I want to do the Amazon thing only. So at that point he was in PPC. So I was not his boss. <laughs> no, but uh, we met at the same company and then I just, you know, uh, quit my job two months after that. And he quit his job also uh, shortly after that. And that's where we met. I mean, that's like the best thing that happened. Love company. So, Amazon yeah. love connection. Yeah. And we, we've heard these kind of things before, how people kind of meet at conferences or at jobs or something. Amazon bringing families together. Gotta love it. Now let's go back a few years before, before you started working at that company. What was, what's your educational background? What, what did you want to be when you grew up and, and what did you major in in university? Right. Um, so I wanted to be a lot of things when I grew up, but I ended up studying languages. So I have a bachelor's and master's in uh, Norwegian 
Swedish and German languages and literature. And languages have always been my passion. So I speak five languages and I was always very interested in doing something that involves languages. And then later on, I kind of, you know, I kind of grew to love e-commerce and Amazon. So I just decided to make something which kind of combines all these three things together. So what are the five languages you speak? I speak German, Danish, um, German, Danish, English, Serbian, uh, and French. Wow. That's pretty impressive. And I understand Swedish, but I don't speak it. So, okay. Well, uh, I think you're forgiven. Five, five is <laughs> five is pretty, pretty enough. Like to be, have to do six. That's pretty crazy. Like I, when I, when I was growing up, you know, I learned Japanese and, and I could speak about 80%, but then I started learning Spanish and I found that it seems that American people's brains do not have the size of Europeans brains because Every time I would learn a Spanish word, I forgot a Japanese word. So now I can still speak two languages, but instead of English and Japanese, it's now English and Spanish. But every European I know, I swear, speaks like three, four languages. You guys are amazing over there. And, you, and you, you've even topped that with five. So that's cool how you're kind of doing, you know, something similar to what you studied. And, and that's one thing actually that is not in common with so many of my guests. You know, I've had I think now four people who are actual attorneys and now they're in the Amazon world. We've had mechanical engineers, we've had ex models and like all kinds of interesting paths that have nothing to do with what, maybe what somebody thought that they were going to do with their life. But it's kind of cool when I do talk to somebody who, who is kind of doing something that was along the lines of what they had studied in university. Now let's, let's talk about your actual, you know, you worked, you, just, you said you worked at a company that, that sold on Amazon. Now, did you ever yourself or do you yourself sell your own private label on Amazon? No, I'm not an Amazon seller, but I actually was, you know, by working for this really big um, the corporation, I got to learn like what's happening in the back office, like how everything works. We manage an account with like hundred thousands of products. They're like very, very big sellers. Uh, so I wanted to start selling on my own, but I just didn't have the time to do it. But I'm really, you know, I would want to do like, do like private label, like one day, but, uh, so far I've never sold anything on Amazon, just worked with a lot of different Amazon sellers. Okay. Now I had a, I had a question for you. I know you've dealt, you know, you deal with a lot of sellers in Europe and there are new and emerging marketplaces. What is your experience or what have you heard from like people who have started trying in some of these newer Amazon marketplaces, such as Turkey or UAE? Right. So for Turkey, we ha we have had like only like a single inquiry from one seller. And that was that. And uh, we usually do about like five to 700 listings every month to a couple of languages. So we do like, you know, the like a two or 3000 when, you know, uh, looking at like all European markets, but we've had only one inquiry for the Turkish market. And we've had maybe two or three, just a couple of ASINs from like two or three sellers told for the uh, Middle East uh, Amazon. But the big thing is that um, Amazon Netherlands is coming in January. And we've got like this, um, in October, we were informed that, you know, this is something which is preparing for 2020. Um, early start of 2020. And since then, we've got like so many sellers who wanted to literally translate everything they had for the Dutch market. So I would say that until this point, we've done like over 100 of ASINs just for this uh, still unlaunched uh, Dutch market. So that might be pretty interesting. So is that going to be kind of like, you see, like, like, like Turkey kind of is separate a little bit than the then the five European, like the five Europeans are all kind of connected to each other, you know, the uh, UK, Germany, France. 
Yeah, it's like part of like the pan-European, you know, it's like, uh, I don't know, a lot of people don't want to sell on the Turkish market. Everybody basically just focuses on Germany because it's the biggest market in Europe. And then, you know, the UK and then France, like those are like the biggest markets in Europe. Um, I haven't seen anyone focus on the Turkish market uh, who is doing the the four uh, big European markets, such as you know Germany, France, Spain, and Italy. I didn't see any other, any other people being interested in um, you know a lot of other uh, markets except that this uh, new Dutch market that a lot of let's say German sellers are eager to try to sell on. Even though the Dutch market, everybody is selling using Ball. It's like a local marketplace. Oh yeah, that's what, right. I, that's what I thought about. Yeah, a Ball. lot of people seem to be interested in starting to sell on Amazon as well, which, you know, was a very big surprise to me. So do you know, I mean, maybe you don't know, I don't know, but like, do you think that the uh, once Dutch marketplace launches, it's going to be like part of, of the five main European ones where it's like, you can just instantly add it and the same fulfillment. Cause like right now, the fulfillment for the five marketplaces is not the fulfillment for Turkey, right? No, it's not. Or but I it? think that, that the Amazon is going to okay. go EU seven. So I, I think that it's most likely that the Dutch market is going to be the part of, you know, the pan-European uh, marketplaces. Okay. Yeah. Okay, cool. Now let's talk a little bit more in about different marketplaces in Europe, because I've taught for, you know, since I started working here at Helium 10, you know, some people say, oh, okay, yes, I uh, have a successful listing in Amazon USA. Oh, hey, UK is English speaking country. I'm just going to copy my English listing and use it there. Oh, okay. Spain. I I'll just go ahead and, and get somebody to translate my UK listing now directly to Spain. And when I tell people, it's like, no guys, you know, First of all, even in the same language, you know, uh, UK, Canada, US, the way people search is different. You know, there's different words and then the same thing. And you can't directly translate something from one language to another without understanding like the buyer intent and the buyer behavior. So can you talk a little bit about that? The importance of, of, of not just trying to do word for word translations for, for listings. Yeah, that, that is absolutely something that a lot of people, especially like uh, the U.S. sellers, they really don't have this mindset because you know how like U.S. market, it's like salesly, you have like a lot of like sales pitch. It's like, buy, buy, buy my product, my super cute, amazing product. And if you just kind of take this listing and translate it literally and do using like a direct translation to, let's say, German market, this is something which is not gonna, you know, do well on that market because people over there, they don't want to get all like, passionate, emotional about products. They really want like clear descriptions. They want to see, you know, um, ingredients, how to use this product. Is it safe for their kids? Is it BPA free? So you want to see all of your features and bullets written like nicely and very transparently. And they don't want to be forced into buying anything, you know, like in your bullets, you shouldn't put things like, you know, um, buy our product, do it now, like do it before it's too late, get it now. They, they don't like to, to be put into buying that. And they, they don't want to read that your product is like super amazing. They, they're going to be like the judge of that. They're going to be the ones like, you know, reviewing you and stuff like that. So they're really kind of, you know, uh, clean, straight and very, you know, uh, informational details about your product. They don't want to hear something like, you know, some metaphors or, you know, I always uh, take an example of this espresso cup uh, where like one bullet, like in English, it says like, own the enigma, just like the old ship in a bottle your granny used to have, right? Something like that. And then the German market is going to say thermo-isolated glass, 
this is like the bullet, like it's like literally the same product, but you just have like this completely different style. And it's a really big mistake to directly translate something written in English for one market and to absolutely have like it's the same the, the, the written the same way on European markets because every market has its own soul and the way of thinking and you have to know who you are targeting. And that's also absolutely mandatory for keywords because not all people, as you said, like not all buyers are going to be looking for the same search terms and looking for the same type of products on all, um, on all markets. And we get like a lot of, um, uh, emails from, from our clients saying like, here is our English keyword list. Can you just translate it and use it on the French market? This is good to have like some guideline, like what you're looking for and like what keywords you want to be ranked for. So you can find something similar on a different marketplace, but you definitely have to do the keyword uh, research like for each market separately, because you're just going to, you don't want to use like something which is wrong or irrelevant for a product or even non-existing. And then you would just put it in your PPC campaigns, right? And you're just going to blow all that whole that time that Amazon gives you uh, when you start selling on international market, you know, like how Amazon gives you that kind of honeymoon period at the beginning. So you're going to get more than you deserve. Yeah. So you really want to kind of do the right thing during this time and not just kind of to end up, you know, on page three after you screw up with the keywords and like localization and other stuff. So what what are some of the the actual like case studies like you have shown where where like, hey, there is somebody who did it the wrong way. You know, hey, I just use Google Translator. I right. just got some local person who doesn't even know the Amazon, you know, because it's not just about knowing the language. You could have a fluent person who, who speaks German, you know, translate something and it'd be an accurate translation. But if somebody does it, it's not doing the right research about what's the actual buyer behavior is and, and Amazon, you know, terminology and things like that. So what is an example you can give? I mean, you don't have to give names or actual products, but where there was somebody who there was somebody who had a listing that they did it the wrong way. But now, you know, they actually got, you know, did it right. They, they did the research, first of all, in the other language and use either, you know, a service, you know, it doesn't have, it could be your service right, or, right, right. or maybe they just, you know, they just knew they know the language on their own, but they did it the other way. And like, okay, well, before my sales was, you know, hundred dollars a day. Now it's a thousand dollars a day. Or do you, do you know any stories like that offhand? Yeah. I mean, I know a lot of people that use like Amazon Launchpad services and, uh, I know a lot of people who are very unhappy with the results. And, uh, I always want to give, you know, feedback to like, you know, anybody who's done like listings, like either direct translations or something, which is a machine translation. Cause nowadays like Google translate and Dipple, they've like, you know, they've gone a long way than like 10 years ago. And sometimes they can get like things right, but they don't know this thing called like context and they are not going to get like, you know, they're not going to make uh, much sense when like trans when translating like a, uh, longer paragraphs or like you want to tell like your story and stuff like that. And then uh, a lot of these people are like, well, look, like these listings are, are not performing well. I'm, I'm pretty sure there's something wrong because maybe sometimes you're even going to sell the product, but you're, you're going to have like a really poorly written listing. So sometimes it's like, you know, it can just improve so much by just having somebody insert keywords in those listings. And definitely when you have keywords in your listings, I think this is actually what's more important than the having like absolutely beautiful language at all times, because the, if you don't have these search terms, the, or your product is not going to show up. So I think if you have like a direct translation, sometimes maybe it can happen that in this direct translation, you accidentally can have a keyword, which is like translated like that by accident, 
or machine translation, which like it doesn't have any keywords. But after you've inserted some of the keywords, your sales start going up. This is always what happens when people optimize their keywords when they use the strategy of, let's say, placing top um, keywords in the title at the beginning, not starting with the brand. This is something which people started doing again. Because I think that was like a trend about uh, like five or six months ago. A lot of people wanted to start the title with the brand and then you will have the title. But now people are just going back to what was like, um, like maybe seven or eight months ago. But that is to start with the strongest uh, titles, oh, sorry, keywords, and then to write by the brand or even just, you know, not to write any brand names and title. And this is how they can, you know, uh, get better ranked and better indexed for very relevant uh, keywords. So I think that, you know, if you're selling your product and you have a poorly written listing, just imagine how much better you can do if you optimize this listing, if you use good keywords, and if your text actually makes some sense for a person that's on the foreign market. Because people are going to buy a product they understand. If you have an English written product on the French market, and if this person understands it like 80%, but if it's like a baby product or kids product, they want to be 100% sure whether they're buying. So if they're not understanding whether they, what, what they're buying, they're unlikely going to buy this product. It has to be on 100% clearly written for them. So they don't misunderstand something which they're buying for their kids, for instance, which is very important for them. Okay. So let's take a quick break from like, you know, Europe and let's talk about some other marketplaces, you know, that are, that are up and coming. What about like India, Japan, Australia, right. Brazil, I know has come up. Anything going on for there or Me- Mexico even? Mexico has been around for a while, but it's kind of been slow moving. But yeah. what, what do you see for, what do you expect for 2020 for any of those marketplaces? So um, I think that Japan is going to be even bigger in 2020 because I think that more and more people are getting the courage to go over there. I just think that people are freaking out because of the the Japanese alphabet and um, a language that absolutely no, nobody speaks like apart from like Asia and Japan. But, uh, mm-hmm. and this is, uh, the marketplace where you have to wait longer to get some results. But, uh, honestly, like PPC clicks are like 50%, uh, cheaper than they are anywhere else. You barely have any competitors. And if you do things right and you have the right product for, uh, that marketplace, you can really do amazing things over there. You just have to wait a little bit longer to get results. At least this is what our clients and other sellers I talk to, they just kind of say like, you have to wait for a longer time. Because like in Germany, if you're selling, let's say like kids products, like anything with, which is related to um, kids makeup, glitter, crayons and stuff like that, you can get like, you know, results in sales in just a couple of weeks, right? And on the Japanese market, you really cannot expect something like that. So I would say that Japan is like very, uh, is expanding and this point and i think more and more people decide to spend to to you know invest in, on the japanese market and we, we get a lot of inquiries for the mexican market but i haven't honestly heard that anybody has making some good profit on that market but which is a really big market um the same for goes for the brazilian market it's huge i mean there's like 200 million people over there but uh, I don't see a lot of people being encouraged to go and sell there. There could be very potentially, you know, big marketplace, especially because things in Brazil are kind of expensive. Like if you walk in a Brazilian store, it's going to be like super expensive. And I think that people would want to buy something cheaper offline, oh, sorry, online. So I think that, you know, might be a, um, a good idea to, ex- to kind of focus more on that uh, market as well. 
And when it comes to Australian market, um, I don't know, it's like 50, 50, like some people think it's worth a shot. Other people are just like, I think those are basically Australian sellers that sell on uh, Australian Amazon. I haven't heard anybody else, you know, trying to go and sell on Australian market uh, who hasn't, you know, um, already been, been selling in Australia as a home market as well. Okay. Now let's go back a little bit to, to Europe now. Like, let's say, you know, somebody launches a product, whether they sell in USA or not, doesn't matter. But do you suggest to everybody who ha- who is going to sell in Europe to go ahead and make listings in all five marketplaces? Or are there some instances where it's like, you know what, because of the the price of it or, or the kind of product you should just do Germany or you should just do UK or, or what are your, what, what's your advice as far as that goes? Well, when somebody asks me, like, I don't want to, I don't want to register for pan European and like what, what market is the best for me? Can you explain that a little bit first? There, there's some people who are oh, not some, I, I bet the majority of our listeners don't even know what that word means. Pan yeah, European. So pan European means like you're covering all European markets at this point. So you have to register for VAT in actually seven countries and not only these four or five countries that Amazon has marketplaces in. Um, so this is a, this is a procedure which lasts about like six or seven months. Um, basically that's how long it takes for someone from Europe to register trademark in the States. So it's not any longer or shorter period than anybody who wants to go internationally has to wait for. This is also the same amount of time you have to wait for the product to get shipped to Japan, registered and everything over there. So, um, being registered for pan European means that you are, you can sell on all European marketplaces, you are allowed to sell everywhere because rarely people decide just to go and sell on one marketplace. People just decide to register for all five of them. And then eventually they start, you know, um, uh, expanding to other international markets. Uh, Germany being the biggest market is always number one for me. And I would always uh, recommend to start with your best selling products uh, on German market. Because it's a very big market and usually all the products that you're selling in the States, they should usually work well also in the German market. And I also told you that, you know, kids categories are pretty, pretty, uh, you know, um, they're, they're good products to, to sell on, on the German marketplace. Definitely. Okay. So what is something that, you know, maybe you can tell us for the person who has never sold in Europe, but they're selling in USA, like, Hey, they have a product that sells, let's just say a thousand dollars a day or, or an account, you know, a number of products that sell a thousand dollars a day in your experience, if they take that product and, and sell in all five marketplaces in Europe, are we saying that, or would you say that maybe a total of $200 a day, like 20% of us altogether, 50% of us, or out of all those listings that you guys deal with, what do you see? Um, well, basically, um, a lot of sellers, like actually how you start selling on international markets, at least like the, the U S clients I've talked to are the people who cannot make more revenue or just kind of, they hit the wall or they have too many competitors. So they decide to go overseas and try their luck over there. But I would say that we have a lot of uh, sellers that actually made the same revenue they're making in the States or even higher just by uh, expanding to the pan-European international markets. So I cannot tell you exactly in percentage, but I would say that if you have like a really good product, like a bestseller in the States, that you can actually make even more revenue on the European market if you don't have that many competitors. Okay. 
let's talk a, a little bit now just specifically about Germany. You know, everybody knows, maybe have seen the reports that, hey, out of Europe, Germany is the number one. Right. And it's next to the, the U.S. actually uh, overall global. I think it I think it goes kind of like a U.S., Germany, and then sometimes it's UK third, sometimes it's right. Japan third. And actually, German, German market is, sorry for dropping, I just forgot to say a really important thing. So the German market, I like to call it as a five-star market because all the other countries that don't have Amazon uh, as a marketplace, they got, uh, they got, uh, they have to buy from the German Amazon, actually. So they get, ah, right? okay. so you get like a lot. So somebody of, from Belgium or something, right, they're, gonna, they're, they're going on the German. Exactly. They'll be transferred to the German Amazon. So you get a lot of, a lot of customers from the whole. Country. That was what I was going to ask. Yeah. I was like, why is it? Why do you, I mean, cause it's not just like, you know, population. Yeah. Of course, Germany has a big population, but you know, you, the, the other ones aren't, aren't, you know, the difference in the amount of money that Germany does as far as the others, it's not in coordination with the population. So that's, that answer is, you know, one of them. Now, what did you see sellers who develop products just for the European market? Like, I'm sure there are some products that maybe only is for Americans, or maybe that only appeals to the Europeans. And, and if so, like, how does somebody find these kind of products that would be specific, that would be more successful perhaps in Europe than, than in the USA? Well, I just think it really depends on the on the on the marketplace and the market research that you do. Like, you know, I think that people should really pay more attention to that because sometimes you can really offend like somebody's culture or actually the whole like uh, you know marketplace if you don't do the market research right. So I think there are like a lot of different ways how you can say see if the if your product is going to be the right fit for that market. You know, sometimes you don't even have to pay money for this. Sometimes you can just like go and like, you know, there are so many like aspects like Facebook groups and like ask them like, Hey, like, listen, like, would you like to buy this product? Like, why do you like it? Why don't you like it? People usually do that for the Japanese market because it's like a very, you know, it's, it's a sort of a weird ish market. So you don't know what to expect. And people kind of tend to feel the pulse of the marketplace just by asking people, you know, like, would you buy this or not? Well, for instance, like you can adjust your product. Like, you know, if you sell from the US, you can adjust your product. You can put like, I don't know, something like if it's written in inches, you put it in centimeters and stuff like that. So I just, I don't think that people like that who sell in the States will make a special product for the European market. I just think that you have to adjust it to some certain extent, actually to do like a localization on your uh, own product to say so. Okay. Let's talk about more specifically now about some of your personal experience. So like, what is your process, you know, when you are working on a client's listing, like how does it work usually? Do you get the listing in English and then now you, you start translating it to the four different languages? Uh, well, we do English, we do German as well. So the listings can also be written in German. So, and we just, you know, uh, we can translate them to other languages. Basically how it all works is, you know, the client has to send us just uh, an ASIN link or they can send us an Excel file or Word file or however they want to. So basically we just get the text and then this is sent to one of our, you know, um, we have for every translator, every translator, ha they have their own language team and the, every language team has a team leader. So basically the text is sent to some, you know, dedicated translators that are going to work on this project. Um, they get the keywords done, like uh, translators do um, keywords research in Helium 10. 
Um, and uh, after that, you know, when they're done, it gets sent to the proofreader. And after that, it's sent to the team leader who double checks the keywords and language once again, because all team leaders speak the language, you know, that they are um, leading the team for. So I like to call this as like a two-step verification process we have. And that's all done before it's sent um, to the client. Now, do you do any of the like keyword research and things like that on your own, like, or, or competitor research, or do you expect that the you know clients have already given you that once they give you the original translation or, or do you take that and then do some market research for them, you know, using helium no, 10? We, we do, as I said, like all translators do keyword research in helium 10. So we do magnet, magnet keyword research. We do the reverse AC and we check your competitors keywords. We use some really cool Excel formulas to find out, you know, what your, uh, the ACEs that are ranked for some certain keywords or maybe, you know, how much in percentage, like some certain ACEs are ranked for like these like top 100 keywords that we get. Sometimes the clients send us like, okay, here are our top English keywords. And I want you to find something similar to that for the French market. So we take this into consideration, of course, but these keywords don't necessarily have to be the same as they are in the English market. You know, French market maybe gets some different results. So we have to kind of, you know, adjust it a little bit. It cannot be, always be like 100% the same as what a client, uh, you know, uh, got us on, on this list. So basically we use Helium 10 a lot. Okay, that's, that's good to know that. Uh, I think a lot of people use strategies similar to that for us, but it's good to know that that's also a good strategy for Europe. Do you notice any difference, but yeah, do you, do you notice any differences like in inside of Europe? Like, Hey, in some countries, longer titles work better in some countries, shorter titles, longer bullet points, shorter bullet points. Uh, are there any differences or is like your strategy overall strategy kind of the same in, in the different marketplaces there in Europe? Yeah, basically, like what we've seen from like a lot of examples that we did or other people that did some, um, uh, you know, bullets or titles, it, uh, it, it's the, the whole point is don't write a novel uh, instead of your bullet. So nobody wants to have super long bullets and you should tend to have them like shorter, like maybe two lines should be enough. And you should just like point out to the key features of all of these bullets. And this is basically how all European markets work. There's nothing too specific about like the length of the bullets on one market or on the other. Basically, you should keep those bullets um, shorter than, you know, a lot of people want to uh, maximize the usage of those 499 characters. But, you know, a lot of people say that, you know, first thousand characters on Amazon get indexed. I mean, nobody has confirmed that, but, you know, they're having that in mind. A lot of people want to, uh, should make it a little bit shorter. And I personally, when I read the product, I'm not going to focus on the bullets that much. If I don't see like key features in the bullets, I'm going to scroll down and just like, it's going to be like, thank you next, you know, like next product. And I would like to see like key features in the bullets and how to use the product. And then if you're interested, then you're going to scroll down to a plus content or descriptions. So I would always say like to keep the bullets shorter than 499 characters, which a lot of sellers are trying to, to, uh, to make. Okay. That's good to know. So what is some just general advice, not necessarily about translation, but for somebody who is, you know, in Australia, in the United States, in Canada, they are interested in expanding to the European marketplaces Obviously, you know, your, your main advice is going to be about, hey, you know, make sure your, your translations, your listings are, are right. And, and of course, a lot of the same general ones that people would know that make sure your images right. are good, make sure you have enough inventory, et cetera, et cetera. But what are some like 
you know what? Let's go ahead and call this. You know, we have a part of our, our podcast where we call it the, the TST, the 30 second tip. So I want to talk a little bit more about this, but give us your first best 30 second tip for people who are interested in expanding to Europe. What is some knowledge bomb that you can drop in 30 seconds or less? Okay. I can, um, I can draw the bomb about the French keywords, which not a lot of people know. So when you have French words, you know that there are a lot of accents like over letters and without using these uh, accents over letters, you are not going to be able to have a grammatically, uh, grammatically uh, goodly written text. In your research, when you do the keyword research, you're going to get a lot of these words which are not going to have these accents. And usually these words are going to be uh, high traffic keywords. So how can you actually use these keywords without having a poorly written listing? The, the, the solution to this is just to write these words in caps, so in big letters. And when these words are written in big letters, you don't have to use the accents. And you can get like high traffic keywords in your bullets, product description, or anywhere else. Love it. That's awesome. Great. I haven't heard anybody, you know, give that before. Second thing now, you know, you're not tied to 30 seconds, but just in general, like it could be maybe the biggest mistake you see people who are trying to, to expand to Europe. Maybe it's about taxes. Maybe it's about, you know, VAT, or maybe it's about your inventory levels or third party logistics. What is something that you could just, you know, since you have more experience than 99% of the people in this world for, uh, expanding to the European marketplaces, like, what is something that you can tell somebody who has never sold in Europe that they really need to make sure that they have it on point when, once they do make that jump? I just remember something which nearly happened on, on Amazon like a, just a couple of days ago. And this is going to give like a really cool boost to international sellers. And that is that international reviews are going to stay on all ASINs forever. So before, when you're about to launch your first product in the European market, you're going to get like 700 reviews until the first local review is written under your product. And then everybody, every, all other reviews, they go away and you have, you're stuck with one review and your, pro, and your sales are slow. So what happened now is that Amazon let all international reviews stay there forever, plus the local reviews. So you're never going to get like a trouble of like, you know, having a rough start only because of your reviews. So that's something really cool that happened a couple of days ago. And I think it's going to have uh, help uh, people who sell international internationally a lot. And I think that Amazon did this on purpose because they also want to encourage people to sell internationally. That's awesome. All right. Well, Iana, I know there's plenty more I would love to pick your brain about because you just bring so much knowledge about something that I think a lot of people are, are kind of sleeping on and, and that's the international opportunity. But if somebody wants to reach out to you or perhaps see, you know, what kind of services you offer, what are your, what's your website or how can people find you? Right. So um, our company name is YLT. It stands for Your Listing Translation. So our website is YLT-translations.com. And our email is info at ylt-translations.com. And if you guys have any listings which have already been translated, you're not happy with, we'll be more than happy to give uh, free feedback and tell you what you can improve or, you know, how to make things work better for you. Love it. Love it. So now how do you say thank you in Serbian? Like it's Hvala uh, <laughs> Vam yeah, or something yeah, like that. Kvala vam. I can't say yeah, right. Thank you. Yeah. Okay. Thank you very much, Yana. And we look forward to seeing how you crush it in 2020. I'd love to have you back next year. 
Quick note, guys, don't forget that regardless where you are listening to this podcast, whether it's on your iPhone or on Stitcher or on Spotify, that you hit the subscribe button so that you can be notified every time we drop a new episode. 